You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Randy. I watch two movies. And on this episode, I'm joined by special guest... No one. That's right. It's a solo GCU. Fear not, though. I've done me a solo episode or two before. In fact, it could be argued that I've carried solo episodes of GCU in the past. Boom! Shots fired. Not really. I'm just joking. So here's why I'm doing this. I was looking at who to line up for a guest co-host because this season we're trying to have a guest co-host every episode. And the thought occurred to me, well, what if I just did this solo for just this, just an episode? And honestly, it doesn't sound like the most fun until I got an idea, until I found a theme that I could run with that I could justify saying, you know what? I'm not going to bother with a guest co-host this episode. I'm just going to tackle it myself. And what is that theme? Well, that brings us to the movies. This episode, I will be talking about Last Shift from 2014 and Darling from 2015. Why are these movies relevant? Well, they're all about one character alone by themselves. And spooky things happen. So, I've got my lights down low. I've got my doors locked. I've got my window shades drawn. And I'm ready to talk about some horror movies. So no delay, let's get right to it. First up, Last Shift from 2014. Overview, and this is kind of a lengthy one. According to the moviedb.org, a rookie cop's world is turned upside down when she comes face to face with Payman, King of Hell. It's weird that the... It, mm, okay, anyway. Officer Jessica Lauren has the last shift at a transitioning police station, assigned to wait for a crew picking up biohazard waste from the armory. But, unbeknownst to her, cult leader John Michael Payman has haunted the department ever since he committed suicide in custody. They're just really just diving into it straight away in this overview. Jessica is about to find out just how dangerous he still is, all alone on the graveyard shift. This is written by Scott Poley and Anthony de Blasi and directed by Anthony de Blasi. It stars Julian Markavi. Markavi? I don't know how to say that. That looks how that looks like how you should say it. Uh, and actually, I was not super familiar with her, but she's in stuff that I used to watch. Uh, but I fell off so long ago. I don't. I didn't recognize her. But she's in Arrow. You know all the DC, uh, CW shows. I think she's the new Black Canary, or was, since 2017. And uh, she's also in The Walking Dead as Alicia in two episodes. I don't know if I recognize her. Anyway, she's the lead, and some other people. I'll start like I usually do. 
had I heard of this and what are my initial impressions? So last shift, to be honest, before yesterday, before I was like, you know what? This whole solo episode come to mind. I had not heard of either of the movies I'll be talking about, Last Shift or Darling. Never heard of them before. Uh, when I was looking up movies to possibly cover about being alone or isolation or whatever, you know, these movies popped up on a list and I had never seen either of these. So I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Now on Last Shift, from the bit of information I found before searching this movie out, and this one was a little trickier to find. It's not streaming anywhere for free. You have to rent it or buy it. The main thing that really caught my eye is the setting. And I think that's, I think it's strongest point. It's about this rookie cop whose first shift is the last shift at this old police station. So basically they've moved police stations. The new police station is operational. So there's no one at the old police station. She's got to stick around because there's hazardous waste in there, you know, like uh, whatever evidence with bodily fluids, needles, stuff like that. And so somebody's got to hang around to guard that until the biohazard people can come get it. So it's a, it's a good setup. I think it's interesting because it's, you know, whatever. It's, yes, spend the night in a potentially haunted place by yourself. But I like the twist of making it a police officer and making the haunted place a police station. It's not like abandoned, but yeah, basically. It's for the most part empty. Yeah, that's a good setting. It's a good setup. You know, it's it's classic, but it's got enough of a unique twist that it caught my eye. However, from the cover and, you know, just some of the images I saw online while looking this up, my hopes weren't super high. Not super high. It looked a little cheesy. It looked a little cheesy. Uh, as possibly maybe I have seen the cover of this before. And it's kind of one of those generic horror movie covers that I probably would have just blown by and not give a second thought. Was it cheesy or did it make this interesting twist on a traditional horror setup work? Yes. Yes and yes. It was cheesy. Elements of it did work. Overall, I don't think it's great. You know what? I'll start with the strong points. The lead, the rookie officer, played by Juliana. Uh, Jessica Lauren is her character's name. She's really good. Like, she nails it, I think. It's what you'd expect from, like, you know, young rookie cop, but it's not overly cliche. And that's kind of helped by the fact that she doesn't have a whole lot of lines because she's by herself a lot of the movie. But she still makes it work because it's that, that thing of overcompensating confidence because she's, you know, she's a new cop and she wants to be brave and tough and whatever, whatever else. But it also at times slightly unsure of herself. And uh, that works now from the standpoint of a, the female lead of a movie, they at no point make her weak. She is a very strong character and the performance reflects all of that. Character wise, <laughs> the, the movie gets questionable because she takes and and you could kind of attribute this to her character being a rookie cop, not wanting to seem weak or like she doesn't know what she's doing. She takes an awful long time to one leap to certain certain assumptions that I think logically a lot of people would jump to earlier and two, just get out of there or call in help like she she talks to other people often through the movie. She calls the new police station several times. And after the first couple times, I'm just like, 
why aren't you, why are you focusing on this one thing when you should just be like, just send officers here. I need help. Like she takes a really long time to do that. And by the time she really does, it's kind of too late. It's kind of too late because she essentially gets trapped in there. So what is the, what's the actual thing? What's happening? When she first gets to the station, there is one person there, her sergeant, uh, Sergeant Cohen, who is played by Hank Stone. And this is, I, this actually had me really hopeful because this is such a weird introduction to a character. So she walks in. It doesn't seem like there's anybody there. And then down the hallway, this guy busts into the side of the hallway, just swearing and cussing and like punching the wall, just wigging out. So she, of course, stops and waits. And it's it's obviously another officer. And he screams at her, turn around. And she obviously, as you would expect, is like, what's going on? And he, he yells at her again, turn around. So she just turns around and starts walking back towards the front door. And then he says, stop. I said, turn around, not leave, whatever. So he makes her face away while he then just walks up around her. And it's not like, like, I didn't know where this was going. I was like, is... What is he? I don't know. Is he going to do something weird, something creepy? Is he like checking her out? What is going on? So then he just walks around and looks at her badge and introduces himself like normal. (laughs) And it's such a crazy introduction for the character that I don't know. I was like, yeah, okay, this is weird. I could, I could get on board with more of this. And he is consistently a weird, uncomfortable, he's not in it much, but he is a D bag when he is. I don't know. That was, that was interesting. It was a, it was a, it started off good. Then whatever. It's just her kind of walking around, checking the place out. It's a little creepy. It's the whole like, you know, creepy atmosphere. Not much is happening. There's a bum takes a leak on the, somehow is in the building, takes a leak on the floor, whatever. (laughs) Very convenient as I labeled her in my notes, an exposition prostitute out back that she comes across to kind of set up uh, the beginning of the story. Because of course it's, it's, there's a ghost story to it. And, and this is a little bit of the, the downside for me, the, the con of the movie, once we get into the story. And it's not a bad idea. So I'm going to get into minor spoilers. I'm not going to spoil the ending right yet, but I'm going to get into minor spoilers. But I've already touched on it in the overview. So here's the thing. It's basically a modern Manson family situation happened. They killed a bunch of girls got arrested, taken to this jail like a year ago, which I was actually a little unclear for a big part of the movie, and then hung themselves in one of the holding cells. This this man and two women, the modern Manson people. And that's why this is happening. It, they're haunting the place, basically. But it eventually sets them up as kind of like demons in a way um, because they're not Satanists. But they are hell worshippers. There's a few clunky bits where it just throws in their exposition by way of at one point she walks into a room and the TV, a bunch of the TVs come on and it's playing like videotapes of their interrogations. And that's where we get kind of like their deal. It's just the way that's handled feels heavy handed and unnecessary. And we kind of go into it more than we really need to. And that's the big problem with this movie is it over explains everything it over explains everything and as the viewer you consistently figure it out 
before it gets a chance to over-explain it. There's not a lot of surprises here. Once the movie's like starts to steer towards a twist, you know what that twist is. And it's so apparent that when it gets there, when the twist or whatever the reveal happens, it's not really a surprise. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I, I seen that coming. So then that could still even work if the movie then sold it well. And it kind of doesn't. And I'm not getting into spoilers, but I am kind of... The, the end was kind of disappointing. And it's not because I seen where it was going really fairly early on, but because even knowing where it was going to go, it just could have handled it way better. It treats you as the viewer like an idiot because it wants so badly to make sure you get what's happening. Make sure you understand it to where it's like, yeah, I get it. I got it like five minutes ago before it even happened. Movie. It's fine. Let it go. Like it over explains things to the point where it becomes just cheesy and lame. Jumping back, jumping back. There's some initially some ghosty stuff, mainly it's some sounds. That stuff I thought is pretty effective. Uh, there's, you know, kind of some typical stuff, but some of it works. I mean, it goes straight up poltergeist in a couple sections where like she's looking, she's in the one the old locker room and she's looking through lockers. And when she's done in the locker, she's looking in because she finds a picture because her dad was a cop. Of course, it's that whole kind of trope where her dad was a cop. He died on the force. So she became a cop. Of course, guess guess what case he died during? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's all very convenient. So when she's done looking in this locker, his old locker, she closes it. And then we get a little, not a jump scare, but like she's startled for a moment. Because then every locker in the room is open, whereas it had been closed. They straight up do the chair thing to where she's looking in a room and there's a bunch of like rolling chairs like kind of tipped over and just spread out through the room. And then she hears a sound down the hallway, looks down the hallway, looks back in the room and they're all stacked up. I mean, it's straight up poltergeist. And that's fine. It's It's been there, done that, but it's also, it's not bad. It's like, whatever, that's classic ghost haunting story stuff. The imagery I'm so torn on. Some of the imagery, I think, works pretty well. It's a little Hellraiser-ish when basically this Manson family, the Manson family ghosts start showing up. Some of it's kind of cool, but some of it is just straight up cheesy. Some of it's cheesy, and part of it is, and, and this is something I'll touch on in the next movie. Can we, like, I know this is a couple years old, but it's not that old. Can we stop with the People like just turning their head super fast and then, you know, you editing it and cutting it so that like, their head just like, tch, 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 tch. you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it in like every horror movie since what the ring maybe. Can we not? Can we stop that? Because it just comes across as cheesy now. It is very rare that that works in a really effective way. And this movie, it just doesn't work at all. It seems super cheesy. Some of the creepy imagery they do have kind of gets ruined because that's when they apply it, when they're like suddenly quick cut and it's like, duh, 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 duh. ooh, scary. It's like weird speed editing. It's not scary. It's just cheesy. And your potentially cool costume design is now ruined because it just comes across as cheesy. It definitely, the movie definitely suffers from overshowing where it, I think it could have benefited from keeping not only some of the backstory a little bit more in the, in the shadows, but also kind of like some of that imagery more in the shadows. There's one scene that I thought worked really well. It's super cool where 
she walks in and basically sees a bunch of, I'm assuming they're the girls that this modern Manson family's killed, but they're sitting in a semicircle in the locker room, but it's up against like a glass wall. So it makes a full circle with their reflections. But what's cool is, so the girls in the reflection are fairly normal, except they're kind of bloodied. They're obviously, they're the dead girls, but the girls that are actually in the room have like, like white cloth over their faces and there's blood and like black stains and smears and fluid and stuff that basically makes kind of creepy faces out of these cloth covering their heads. And I don't know, it was a cool image, uh, stuff like that, like that scene worked and the other imagery isn't on like that, but it's not as effective. What else isn't effective is being attacked by rolling chairs. There's for real a scene where she gets attacked by roller chairs, chairs just rolling across the room. And if it sounds a little goofy, it is. It doesn't really work. Again, likewise, it's such a toss-up because there's a later scene that feels very Sam Raimi-ish to me to where it's just like the camera zooming down the hallway and you hear noise and you don't see anything there. But the way that Rookie Cop reacts, it's like she sees whatever is making the noise, but it's basically just interesting sound design set to crazy camera movements. Very kind of Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Sam Raimi, like I said. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it's, I guess it's just more middle of the road. Some of the setups, there are a few things that get revealed along the way that I thought, even though I seen them coming just before they got revealed, I was like, well, that's still pretty cool and creepy. I kind of hated the guy that they cast as basically the modern, what is this character's name? I know I said it at the beginning, John Michael Payman. I kind of hated this character, the look of his character. And I get, he looked appropriate for like a creepy cult leader, Charles Manson type, like totally nailed it. Here's the weird thing about the concept in general, because combining like a haunting with this police story, with Manson family, with Satan, Colton, like it's, it's, that's all kind of interesting, but hippie cult members, you know, this Manson family situation, to me, that seems like a different kind of evil than your usual, like demon cult. For me, adding that demon worship supernatural element makes the demon stuff come across as a little cheesy because the demons are basically white trash hippies now. <laughs> and, uh, and then adding the demon element to what is essentially Charles Manson style murder cult makes the murder cult seem less scary and less evil because the murder cult is pretty evil on its own. It doesn't need the supernatural element. There's got to be a way to marry those things together better. A plus for effort here on that. Like it's an interesting idea. It just didn't work super well. Also, it took her, it took her so long to suspect that this was a prank. I would have jumped to that. Like after the first initial couple scares, I've been like, wait, 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 wait. They're pranking me, aren't they? Spoilers, they're not. But, and then her radio bleeds barbecue sauce at one point. I know it's supposed to be blood, but I, even that was a little cheesy, but it didn't look like blood. It looked like straight up, not ketchup, barbecue sauce. Barbecue. So the last shift, star ratings. Wait, do you hear that? What is that? noise in the other room who's in there no one all right well if you say so i'll take your word for it star ratings last shift 
I'm going to give this two and a half stars. I almost went three because there is some stuff that's super effective. But to be honest, this is a case where the end of the movie, on paper, I like it. In execution, it just didn't work for me. It seems super cheesy to where it was over and I was just kind of like, well, that, that sucks a little bit. So as you can tell from this whole review, it's very like, there's pros and cons. So I couldn't do anything other than go straight, literally down the middle of the road with two and a half stars out of five. Good acting. Uh, it's shot fairly well. It's not quite as dark and atmospheric as I would expect. But then again, that also works for it because it's not like you're in an old abandoned uh, haunted house or factory. It's, it's a police station that was until very recently active. So yeah, two and a half stars. All right, from rookie cops to caretakers. Uh, next up is Darling from 2015. Overview. A young woman slowly goes crazy after taking a job as the caretaker for an ancient New York home. This was written and directed by Mickey Keating and stars Lauren Ashley Carter, Sean Young, Brian Morvent. They're really, there's the lead and then a couple of, couple of minor players because once again this is about a woman alone in a creepy location so darling from 2015 again as i said on the last movie i had not heard of this before between the two movies when i was doing my research i found this and last shift i was actually most excited to watch this because this looked interesting this looked unique I did watch the trailer before watching the movie, and from what I gathered is this felt very much like a a kind of a, a throwback to Roman Polanski's Repulsion. And this is a throwback to Roman Polanski's Repulsion, 100%, unabashedly, uh, which, you know, could be a pro or con. It, it, it's whatever it is. First, what is this movie? The story is super simple. Our lead, young woman... Uh, credited simply as Darling. Actually, the main character names are very interesting. There's Darling, Madame, and The Man. In the show, The Man does get a name, but our lead is Lauren Ashley Carter. She's in Jugface, The Woman, uh, Premium Rush. Oh, that is the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. Interesting. So yeah, super simple plot. Woman takes a job as a caretaker, basically house-sitting. This old uh, New York apartment home type thing, or I don't know what you'd call it. I guess it's just a home, but it's, it's a rather big, obviously I'm not from New York. I guess you'd just call it a house because it's not really an apartment, but it's just like, you know, a block of building, <laughs> basically just a block of building, but each section is like a multi-story house. And supposedly she's, that's like the oldest, the oldest home in New York. So the movie itself is, it's, it's pretty interesting in that it, it is black and white. It's an unconventional aspect ratio. It's 166 to one, which uh, apparently is known as European widescreen. Um, whereas like 177 to one is 16 by nine. And that's what most of our TV, widescreen TVs are now. <laughs> you guys don't care about aspect ratio, whatever. It's modern because when there's outside shots, you do see modern cars in the background, but like it looks old it looks like it's a 60s period piece maybe or 
Yeah, definitely I'd say 60s. Everything in the house is old. It's old telephone. There's like no, you don't see any TV or anything like that. She dresses in old, so she she looks like Wednesday Adams. She looks like a grown-up Wednesday Adams. That's our main character, all right? A grown-up Wednesday Adams. Old-style dresses and uh, the music. Okay, so the original score is very interesting. First off, there's there's a lot of piano, and then there's also just some very unusual ambient. I'm hesitant to say synth, but very unusual ambient score. I love the opening of the movie because just the shots of the city, there's a lot of shots of the city at times, and even those, the skyline looks old. It's something about the lighting or the framing and the contrast and the movie opens with a couple of uh, skyline shots and just crazy, strange, original score um, that really kind of got me excited for this movie. So what what did I actually think of this movie, though? Overall, I enjoyed this movie. I was so on the fence, though, for the first part, which is weird because, to be honest, when this movie started... From the opening shots that I was just talking about right up to the credits, like the the title card, which is pink, by the way. Like, it's a black and white movie, but there's some typography that shows up in color occasionally. I was so on board with this movie. I was like, I kind of love this so far. And so I kind of was expecting to really love this movie. But there's some stuff that kind of bugs me. I was so torn on this character and to be honest, I I was a little torn on like the acting at first. Now, she acts just incredibly uncomfortable and nails it. But that goes so long into the movie where she just seems insanely uncomfortable. And I was like, is this is this how the character's supposed to be played? Because it feels really strange and unnatural. And the little bit of her interacting with other people. Like in real life, that other person would be so off put by how this lady is acting. I don't know if that's just, if that's a creative choice, if they're like, yes, this is what her character is. So she interacts with this man and she acts so strangely around him that I was like, I don't know if this is bad acting or this is intentionally the creative choice. But I wasn't clear on what the relationship was between them or like what her motivation was for acting this way. And then there's a few scenes where you get it. Like I get I got it. And once I kind of understood, I was like, oh, it completely made the unusual acting choices snap into place and make sense to me. Plus, we got to a couple more scenes where Lauren Ashley Carter nails it like she is so good in this movie. She has some super emotional scenes that is uncomfortable to watch, but it's so good. I feel like of the creepy stuff that happens in this movie, her acting actually comes across as some of the creepiest. And even when it's not like her being creepy or being weird, it's her being emotional. That stuff still seems so odd and and uncomfortable that it comes across as creepy and kind of sells sells the whole thing. My biggest issue with this is... A little bit the editing style. This does the thing. This is what I was talking about in the last movie. This does the thing where, hey, face the camera and then spin your head around a bunch and we're going to cut it up real quick. And it, 
Speaking of editing problems, but kind of different editing problems, they really kind of took that repulsion 60s movie. I don't, there's got to be a name for it in my mind. I'm always like, you know, that's like the beatnik editing. And I I don't don't think it has, I don't think it has anything to do with beatniks. But in my mind, I'm like 60s beatniks or 50s beatniks, whatever. If you've watched enough older movies, especially some 60s movies where, where indie filmmaking was really starting to kind of take off. And maybe it was, some of it is like filmmakers getting larger studios to agree to do more unconventional stuff, but to where it seems like there's more people with access to film that are experimenting with different uh, techniques, especially editing techniques. And I feel like this kind of homages some of those movies where they're doing unusual and unnecessary things in the editing. Not that I don't like unusual things in the editing, but it doesn't always work. And I'm typically not a big fan of it in some of those older movies where they are doing it, where it just kind of feels experimental. And it's like, hey, it's the 60s, man, whatever. <laughs> Do you like, this is how I review movies, people. Uh, Hey, it's the 60s, man, whatever. I'm pretty sure that's a technical filmmaking term. Anyway, this kind of mirrors that, and I'm not a fan of that. That alone isn't enough to kind of kill the movie for me, but it kind of did drag, drag the movie down a little bit, and I didn't understand her character until a little bit later in the movie. Now, I will say, though, halfway or better into the movie... There's a major event, and from that point on, I was 100% on board with the movie. And I actually, I really enjoyed it. It just kind of took a while to get to that event, just because I didn't really know, like, what's the direction of this movie, you know? Woman, I guess slowly going crazy, but the way it handled that aspect, I wasn't wild about until there's actually some kind of consequence or weight or actual thing that happens as a result of it. And that's when I got on board. Now that's not to say there's not interesting, creepy stuff earlier in the movie. There definitely is interesting note on like the sound design is the sound design is very minimal in that everything sounds very deliberate. It almost, (laughs) this is going to sound bad, but it, it almost sounds like from like the actual Foley, it almost sounds like a a student film in that, It sounds very basic and a lot of the Foley work recorded, you know, just like clothes, rustling, footsteps, stuff like that. The mix is very strange and it sounds very right up front in the mix to where it's not like in the environment. I feel like that's maybe intentional in this case, in this movie, because it does add to a combination of the period of movie they're hearkening back to with the style, but also like the surreal nature of the movie. Now, where the last movie really over-explained things, this movie intentionally keeps things very vague for a large chunk of the movie. I kind of thought they would maintain that kind of abstract vagueness to what's actually happening through the whole thing. It actually becomes very clear at a certain point. It's very straightforward what's happening, except there's one thing. There's one thing which they do... There's basically a room that's treated like the business case in Pulp Fiction, where it makes you wonder what's in there, but it's treated like the business case from Pulp Fiction. You you know what I'm saying? So it still maintains some of that, but it feels, I don't know, that feels like an unnecessary mystery just kind of thrown in there. However, I will say I'm glad it's in there. 
because again, this is another one of those moments where the lead slight spoilers when she finally gets to see in this room, we don't see what's in there, but her reaction is amazing. Mostly terror, but she goes through so many emotions in this scene and it's so extreme and I was really fascinated by it. Her, I don't know, whatever. The big takeaway for me on this movie is her acting is amazing. Lauren Ashley Carter in this movie is amazing. There's some insane kind of gore in this and, and violence. So be aware of that. I didn't see it coming. It gets pretty gross in sections. Yeah. That's really all I got to say about it without getting too far into spoilers. I will say, though, so there's the obvious kind of thematic connection between this and the last movie, even though it's so interesting to compare them because this is like, I'm not going to say pretentious, but it, a person could call it that. I don't think it's that, but it, a person could call this movie pretentious. It's a little bit of homaging, more art house, like Repulsion is kind of an art house horror classic in a way, if that makes sense. If that's if there is such a thing, it's obviously. I mean, it's black and white. It's very off kilter, unusual. This is an indie movie. It's not going for a mainstream audience. Whereas the other movie feels like it overexplains itself, not because it thinks it's smart, but because it thinks you're kind of dumb, or or it just wants to make sure you understand. Unintentionally talks down to you. Where this movie's like doesn't care it's going to talk it's going to try to talk over you maybe yet at the same time these are almost the same movie this does not have like a manson family thing going on but there is this really strange satanic cult element to it as well just like the first movie and other things there's other things that really tie this into like they're the same movie they're just two different sides of the filmmaking coin it's so strange um, like, it, I don't know. Anyway, the point is it's these movies are thematically tied together way better than I actually initially expected. And I might actually dive into big spoilers for both before getting into the cinematic universe pitch. So star writing for darling, I'm going to give this three and a half stars, the final act, the final third. And mind you, this is actually, a, this is a, not a super long movie. It's pretty slim. It's hour and 18 minute runtime. The final act, I liked a lot. Towards the end, after this big thing happens that I mentioned, some of the unusual editing choices and some of the style, I think, works. I think it feels more justified in that section. And again, Lauren Ashley Carter's acting is amazing. So it goes three and a half stars for that. But I can't say it's great. I'm not going to go four stars or higher. But three and a half feels good because it's enjoyable. It's definitely not for everybody. Uh, it will come across as pretentious to some people. Very indie. And uh, yeah, three and a half stars. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. How about your rating, Silent Void of Darkness, given shape by Fear of the Unknown? Five stars for the dismemberment That's dark. Oh, Pa, hand me those marshmallows. I want to make some s'mores. Whose idea was it to go camping in December? This is ridiculous. Well, it's Friday the 13th. You have to go camping on Friday the 13th. Why is that again? This doesn't seem like a good idea. Because if we don't go camping on Friday the 13th, how are we going to talk about 
Friday the 13th, 4, 5, and 6. You're right. You're right. That'll make a great follow-up to the last Grolic Cinematic Universe Friday the 13th special, in which we talked about parts 1, 2, and 3. That's right. We talked about when Jason was born. So this time we get to talk about, like, teen angst Jason. Jason's hit adolescence. Now he's starting to come into his own, but he's real emo about it. And the directors weren't sure about him either. (laughs) Yes, that is quite apparent. Well, you know what? That's a good idea. We'll talk about some Jason movies around this campfire while we try not to freeze to death the week of Friday the 13th of December. Hey, how can we freeze? We have a nice lake for ice skating. We have a fire and we have a killer somewhere in the woods. What was that? Quick, let's get out of here. We need to go to GrawlixPodcast.com. It's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com and check out the Grawlix Cinematic Universe Friday the 13th Special Part 2 coming up in December. I'll be joined by special guest co-host Paul of Moose's Monster Mash and we're going to talk about Friday the 13th Part 4, 5, and 6. You know, when the series really started to... It just really started to get real good. On second thought, I'm just going to sit here and wait for Jason to come. All right, this cinematic universe practically writes itself. So, listener, the movie studios, they're looking for some some good horror fodder, just something to throw out there to fill the gaps in between canceled Star Wars projects and other things. And they want something with some female leads because people like the female leads. And those angry, angry white men online, they just... that. All that hype just fuels the uh, box office numbers, so keep getting upset about it, you f- <laughs> How would you combine? I guess I should ask, how would I combine these two movies for a last shift, darling, cinematic universe? So first, I'm going to get into major spoilers for both of these movies, so be warned. Um, if you're going to watch these, watch them now because I'm going to spoil them. Watch them before you listen to this. Darling leans more towards that it's all purely psychological, not supernatural, even though there is definitely, seems like maybe some supernatural element, but not really. It's a psychological horror movie, whereas Last Shift, it's definitely 100% supernatural. However, the movies both end with the women killing somebody, and then dying in this place. And even though Darling is the one that's not necessarily supernatural, she even says, I think I'll become one of your ghost stories now. Whereas in the other one, the Manson family ghost demons literally take the woman to add to their ghost collection at the end, whatever, whatever you want, however you want to look at it. But they basically end the same way. They die in this place And the idea is then they just become a part of the haunting now. Also, in Last Shift, yes, the rookie cop thinks she's shooting Manson family, either ghosts or people that have come in there to join the ghosts or whatever they are. But she's actually shooting the biohazard guys. Shocker! Didn't see that one coming since the beginning of the effing movie when the biohazard situation was introduced. When this cleanup crew was said, they'll be here sometime between... Uh, 10 and 4. Huh. I wonder if someone's going to get shot. Anyway. (laughs) 
So you would think on the surface that you're like, well, both of these movies are really about one lead character and the leads of both movies die. How can you combine these into a cinematic universe? Darling, please. <laughs> uh, okay, so there's there's definitely a couple angles to take. First, I want to latch on to... Now, this is all one cinematic universe. But, you know, think of this as like The Conjuring. Is that it? The Conjuring ser- series that like... There's The Conjuring, but that spawned off Annabelle and The Nun, right? Like just all these ratchet, <laughs> ratchet ass horror movies. Yeah, I said it. Think of it like that. These are all just different elements of the same cinematic universe. So in Last Shift, they're, they're Satanists, but they're not really Satanists. They're more like hell worshipers because they're like, you know, the devil ain't shit. Who do you think was there before the devil is the king of hell? So that's what we're, that's who we worship. But they're basically Satanists. Now this movie hints at, like, there's a there's there's this weird. It's not even a subplot, but it's just this weird theme that comes up a couple times to where, like, an early owner of the house tried to conjure the devil, was like a devil worshiper, and tried to like bring the devil into this world. And you kind of assume that it's in this this Pulp Fiction room. <laughs> it's not a room with gimp suits or anything. It's, you know, the room that you don't get to see. It's kind of the MacGuffin. So there's this interesting through line here, right? You see where I'm going? So uh, the guy that tried to bring the devil into existence, the devil worshiper and Darling, way back when, he's a he's an ancestor of this modern Manson family. They're not the Manson family in The Last Shift, but whatever. That's That's what I'm calling them because that's what they are. They're like a modern analog for them. I don't think the modern Manson family would be so hippie-ish. Regardless, I'm going to say that's his, their ancestor. When they had money, they could afford these nice, nice New York multi-level building houses that I don't have a proper name for. It's not a townhome, is it? Maybe it's a townhome. Anyway, but you know, a failed failed devil resurrection or maybe a, a devil deal, a devil deal <laughs> gone wrong and uh, his family falls into hard times. Eventually they end up you know, kind of some farm-dwelling, redneck, white trash people, uh, white trash hippie people. So it's all the same family line. It is like the great-great-great-grandfather of the modern Manson analog people in Last Shift. So we got that obvious connection there with the devil, blah, 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 blah. But what I think really the strong potential for multiple spinoffs for this series is basically Darling even sets it up here to where this all happens to darling as they call her or as she's credited as but the movie sets it up as like it's happened before and spoiler spoilers at the end of this movie another caretaker comes in and it sets up like it's probably going to happen again so what i'm thinking is we basically have you know a series of movies about any different scenario where woman doesn't have to be a woman but a lead character gets trapped in a haunted place now, where this could get fun is how can we mingle these places? How can we bring these hauntings together? You know, I want to see angry. Oh, this would, oh, you know what? This would actually even be a better sequel is, you know, this will be Darling 2, the last shift, d- Darling, uh, where, where the lady, uh, the lead from Darling, Darling, she is a ghost now. She's just as crazy as she was when she was alive, but now she's actually a demon. And, uh, you know, 
she's going to give the demon ghosty Manson chicks a run for their money. Yeah, I don't know where else I'm going with this, but point is they're like the same movie. You don't have to do a cinematic universe. You just make more, more movies like this to where creepy horror movie lead character probably dies in the end trapped in the house. We've actually seen this before multiple times. It's great. It's great. And then eventually you bring in uh, Mike Flanagan to make a Netflix series about the whole thing. Done. Done deal. Or maybe. So at the end, police come to check in on this caretaker and they find a body. Darling goes up to the roof. This is, this is what actually happens. This is spoilers. Darling goes up to the roof and kills herself. And then, of course, I'm sure they had to bring in all kinds of, you know, homicide detectives and all kinds of cops to, like, canvas the area or whatever it is they say in the shows. Maybe that was the first first shift for a new young rookie cop. And the reason that this, the haunting of her at her last shift at the police station was so strong is because she picked up some residual satanic energy mingling around when she had to, like, canvas the area of darling whatever. You know where I'm going with this. I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> I've been Randy. What do you th- what do you think of the solo show? Don't worry. It's it's probably not going to happen again. In fact, next episode I can guarantee I'll have a guest because that episode's coming out the week of Friday the 13th in December. You know what that means? That's right. You probably do know what that means because I've already played the promo earlier in the episode. I'll be joined by Paul. You've heard Paul before. He was on the last Grolic Cinematic Universe Friday the 13th special. Paul of Moose's Monster Mash, he'll be joining me to talk about the next set of Friday the 13th movies, parts four, five, and six. I'll tell you this right now. Now, I've seen them all at different points, but some of them it's been so long that I was like, I couldn't remember which ones were like kind of the good ones, which were the bad ones. I have rewatched a couple of them already. There's some bad ones. <laughs> uh, straight up, there's some bad ones. But they're, God, dude, the bad ones are so much fun to talk about, though. So I'm super excited for that. We haven't recorded it yet. And then after that, oh, my gosh. After that, we've got Christmas. And I know what's coming up for Christmas. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a secret because you can't open your presents until it's Christmas, right? December. Some super exciting, awesome stuff coming up. Some fun movies to talk about. Very much looking forward to it. And I hope you rejoin me. You can find me on Twitter at Randall Sylvie. It's R-A-N-D-A-L-S-I-L-V-E-Y. Or check out RandallSylvie.com. That'll give you a rundown of pretty much like basically what I'm doing most of the time. Uh, You can get to PodEdit.com, which is where you can contact me if you need help with your own podcast. That's right. I am a full-time freelance podcast producer. You can pay me money and I'll help you. I'll edit your show. Whatever you need. Let's talk. Reach out to us on Twitter at GCU Podcast. And as always, you can find us on, you know, pretty much everywhere you find podcasts. Look for Grolix Cinematic Universe or go to GrolixPodcast.com. It's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Did you think I forgot? No, I didn't. I mean, what better episode to do, uh, you know, by yourself than Thanksgiving episode where you're thankful by yourself (laughs) i couldn't do it with i couldn't do it with a straight face anyway all right thanks everybody have a good have good holidays and be safe and we'll see you at camp crystal lake
Whenever you're feeling lonely, take solace in the knowledge that you are never truly alone. Because I'm always there in the dark just behind you.